Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Ramesh Dervasula, Senior Vice President of R&D IT at Eli Lilly. Ramesh joins us on today's program today to survey the biggest challenges in biotech research and how emerging capabilities, particularly in generative AI, are paving the way for a new future for the entire industry. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Ramesh, thanks so much for being with us on the program today. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. So just in terms of your position at Eli Lilly, we know you have a, a, a really great surface area over these problems. What do you see as the biggest problems currently in the healthcare and life sciences spaces today? Yeah, thanks for asking. So Lilly's purpose hasn't changed since its inception nearly 150 years ago. So Lilly unites caring with discovery to create medicines that make life better for people around the world. And we've been doing that. We've been focused on that purpose, uh, again, so for nearly 150 years since our founding. Over the decades, in fact, over the centuries, we have learned to embrace modern technologies, new ways of working to attack that purpose, to find new medicines as quickly, robustly as possible. And so in this day and age, we are in an era where AI, in all of its forms, generative AI, machine learning, et cetera, is being leveraged throughout Lilly to accelerate our work in uniting caring with discovery to create medicines. Right. And and just even in poking into, you know, creating medicines a, a little bit more deeply, we know AI has a huge crossover just in terms of, of drug targeting and understanding human biological systems. I know a lot of the ambition for a lot of, you know, life sciences firms right now is to try to build systems that mimic human biology in, so we can predict those signals a lot better. You know, just in terms of, you know, being able to manufacture items really curtailed to the human body, where do you see business leaders using data to address these problems? I know you were you, you were saying how, you know, there's huge crossover for AI in these spaces. Yeah, absolutely. So AI has a huge potential in all parts of the research and development pipeline and certainly beyond into manufacturing and commercial use cases. But to hone in on R&D for a minute, there's incredible opportunity for AI both in the drug discovery space as well as the clinical development space. Within drug discovery, the same two questions have to be asked about any disease. Are we clear on what is the molecular basis of the disease? And once you have that clarity, can we find therapeutic agents that can address the molecular nature of a disease? So whether it is Alzheimer's, psoriasis, mm -hmm. different forms of cancer, et cetera, our mission ongoing, the evergreen mission is find the right biological targets, and so the molecular basis of disease, and then identify the molecules. It could be small molecules, antibodies, RNAs, gene editing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Find the therapeutic agents against those biological targets. And so AI is used in both sides of the equation, finding of biological targets and identifying of therapeutic agents. 
Absolutely. And just in terms of, you know, rare diseases, especially, I know there's huge crossover and ways of being able to look at rare diseases from a data standpoint that we just haven't been able to over the last 30 years that that puts a lot of different kinds of treatments into play. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, just about that frontier in terms of R&D and being able to solve problems that, you know, even five, 10 years ago that we weren't able to solve before? Specifically on the rare disease side, uh, there's there's two interesting challenges as it relates to the leveraging of AI for rare disease research. Number one is we've learned so much through recent uh, advances in generative AI, large language models, etc., that really the best models are built when you have high volume, high resolution data. So the larger your data set, the better your training and the more refined your models can become, more predictive uh, they can become. The challenge with rare diseases, of course, is that the population you have available of patients and disease uh, agents and and, uh, data sets is very, very limited. And so if you over-index on the use of AI without taking care of the size and the volume and the variety and the quality and integrity of the data, you could get yourself into some potholes there. And so I tend to use the analogy that imagine if we had used Google Maps technology algorithms for routing and and maps and whatnot, but applied it against a map that was drawn by Ptolemy in the 1400s. Right, right. right? Ptolemy had the first world map But of course, if you tried to define the best route to go from London to Lisbon on Ptolemy's map, you'd be way off. And so over-indexing on the algorithm and not taking care of the data set that you're using to train against is a big deal. And so rare disease is an example where we still have more to learn in terms of the data sets that we have to gather. Now, on the flip side of that, the opportunities for AI as it relates to rare disease actually is that maybe we are not collecting enough data from each of the patients. And so is there an opportunity to collect a wider variety of data about the patients that are impacted by rare diseases. So, you know, digital biomarkers, demographic information, geographic information, family history, et cetera. Maybe we need to not just look at the direct molecular nature of the Mm -hmm. disease, but actually the population information that we tend to not focus on as much. Maybe we need to introduce more of that. And it's highly likely that the model, the algorithm, can tease out a signal from all of that potential noise because that's what it's really good at. Right. And I I know you're more in the research and development side, but when we talk to our friends in healthcare, they always tell us, you know, personal information in patient data Mm -hmm. is really, really hard to to come by, especially kind of in a in a public access sense because of the interoperability of you know, yes. bespoke healthcare systems, HIPAA, HIPAA and, and PHI and in the laws written that determine how healthcare data is used. It's more to facilitate payment than than care. So I'm just interested on on where your source, uh, how you're getting the source for this data and how you overcome those challenges, if that's if that's on your radar and your purview from a research standpoint. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you know, look, part of Lily's values are ethics, integrity, and respect for people. And so we are very, very clear on making sure that we are responsible with the application of uh, data in all of its forms. And so, you know, privacy is very, very important. We we made very, very sure that we don't, you know, step over boundaries as it relates to patient privacy, patient data, consent, patient consent, et cetera. So responsible AI, ethical AI, right, which whichever uh, flavor, all of that is very, very important to us. 
You were mentioning, you know, the clinical development process before, and I think that's where the rubber's hitting the road in terms of the lines have never been that strict between healthcare and life sciences, but I really think they're getting blurred right there just in terms of everything we've heard from both sides of the aisle in terms of clinical trials enhanced by AI becoming so dependable that patients are, are able to use them kind of as an alternative form of healthcare. Wondering if this is something that you're seeing at Eli Lilly, if this is something that's being a consideration for clinical development in that trial process, and just how that crosses over with what you were saying before just about data access to patients' personal information. Yeah, no, we, we are always looking for better methods to analyze our data, better methodologies to, you know, comb through the data that we have available to identify insights. We're clearly focused on creating medicines that make life better. And so if it's through the use of AI, if it's through the use of, you know, lesser technologies or more advanced technologies, uh, we're always looking to understand where that cutting edge is. And also, you know, it's trying to understand the translational medicine side of this as well. So where can you use clinical trial data that we are collecting for the benefit of conducting more focused research, early research activities? And then how does some of the early research activities, whether it's in a petri dish or whatever, potentially translate into the way that we model it in clinical trials? And so AI and generative AI has opportunities to allow us to leverage the data assets we already have and drive deeper insights from them. Absolutely. You were in speaking of generative AI, you were talking about LLMs before, at, at least in the drug targeting process. And I'm wondering when I talk to our friends in at Salesforce and at Google and, and these more more of these tech places, uh, we hear over and over again about how, you know, one of the benefits, it's not quite there yet, but one of the benefits of AI is you're gonna have a completely different relationship with the data. And it's going to get to the point where, especially from the employee journey side, before it gets to the to the customer, or in our cases, the patient, from the employee side, you'll be able to converse with the data and that it'll be a conversational format in order to do the search. I'm wondering if there are beachheads there in terms of you know, where you're doing it in drug discovery at Eli Lilly and also what you were just mentioning in terms of generative AI in the clinical process. Absolutely. There's there's let me give you a sort of two versions of this, because we see a lot of opportunity to make the scientists and researchers and, and clinicians and, you know, sales and marketing, manufacturing folks, everybody in Lilly can become more productive, more valuable by leveraging a lot of these AI capabilities. And so we're we're talking a lot about co-pilots. The, the co-pilot word is thrown around for a lot of different capabilities and tools, but we really see the future where there will be digital co-pilots associated with every role in the company so that there will be an assistant that can answer questions or monitor, you know, some experiment or whatever it might be. Co-pilots are going to be very, very important for us to make the human, the scientist, the employee more productive, more efficient in what they do because they'll have a digital assistant uh, helping them in a lot of some of the more basic tasks or accessing the data, answering questions, aggregating and summarizing information, et cetera. So co-pilots are very, very important. I think where we're also that's, that's sort of the first piece of it. But the second piece of the co-pilot that we're actually quite excited about is the opportunity to build human intuition based on the historical data of Lily so that the co-pilot can actually become smarter and every right. day and learn from the decisions that are made by the staff at Lily so that the co-pilot of every individual is actually 
gaining from the wisdom of the entire organization. Right. So it's not just a co-pilot based on public data. It's a co-pilot that's going to be constantly refined and learning based on our internal expertise and experience. Yes. And that'll exist at the enterprise level, but also it will exist at the individual level. You know, the, the LLM, the systems will be able to understand this individual doctor, what they need, or, or this individual researcher, what they need, what their focuses are, and be able to complement that off the needs of the enterprise, the needs of their team, the larger context. Or is that what you're seeing, Eli Lilly at all? That's a future that we yeah. can see that there are going to be lots and lots of opportunities. You know, the term digital twin comes to mind here. Yeah. There's going to be many different types of digital twins. And so it's not just simply a digital twin in which you can completely run a simulation of, right? So when you think about a digital twin of an airplane engine, they, they have every single part of the airplane engine, all of those associations, et cetera, are, are there so that you can run a full-blown simulation of the engine. In our case, it may not be a full-blown simulation of the patient, but it'll be a model that proxies the disease. It'll be a model that proxies the decision-making of, of a physician or a chemist or a biologist, et cetera. So we will have many digital twin models built into the co-pilots that are going to be at the side of every researcher in Lilly. Right. And it's just so fascinating, you know, even talking to folks who who never touch healthcare and they're they're noticing that, you know, the same workflow changes are going to be taking place. First, you're conversing with your search and then that conversation is going to turn into a co-pilot and then on to digital twins. And, and this is in uh, exactly. big tech. This is in finance. This is in retail. And it, it's really, really fascinating. We're just up at least for time. But I know you'll be back on the show very soon and we're going to dive into these subjects even a little bit deeper. But Ramesh, thank you so much for being with us on today's show. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Fun conversation. And before we wrap up today's show, I think a really quick note, just because we've been running quite a number of episodes on generative AI, I think the next one that we're going to be featuring with Ramesh in December is going to be very instructive for our audience. I commissioned this episode specifically because it's going to compare predictive analytics, which has largely been one of the sexier capabilities in AI over the last half decade or so versus generative AI in terms of being able to provide business leaders with insight because we still do see predictive capabilities come from generative AI. And I think Ramesh does a really, really great job of explaining that in the next episode. So everybody stay tuned for that in a couple of months. We wanted to save the best for last and perhaps for the Christmas season. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.